Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. All right, well, welcome everyone. Thanks, thank you for joining us and welcome to those joining us online through our Facebook feed. We are in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. You can turn there in your Bibles. We also have the text behind me. What I'm going to do is just go ahead and read it. It's a long text, John chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to go to verse 30. I'm going to go ahead and read it for us just so we can get a lay of the land, and then uh, we'll dive in, okay? So this is what it says, Jesus talking with a bunch of Pharisees, starting in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you know my father also. Jesus spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus said, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you, and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but just speak as the Father has taught me. And And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, many believed. I don't know if you have ever had the experience where you're trying to explain something to someone, and you just can't get them to understand what you're trying to say, what you're trying to explain. Uh, As many of you know, um, I do two things. I'm a pastor of this church, and I also am a health insurance agent. And I help people sign up for Medicare, okay? Medicare is very, very confusing. Um, Susan knows. She just signed up. Okay. Um, and I was trying to explain to this lady how Medicare works. It's, you know, it's health insurance through the federal government for seniors. And I was trying to explain how the you know, drug coverage works and all this good stuff. And she was just, just not getting it. And I was talking to her on the phone, and I was trying to walk her through bit by bit. And we were just on two separate worlds, right? There was a massive gap. And... Eventually, she gave up, I gave up, you know, we still got her in a, in a plan and all that, but there was a gap in understanding, okay? I'm sure you've had your own experiences 
with that type of situation as well. Today, the text we just read, we're seeing the same type of gap with Jesus and the Pharisees here. Again, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the religious rulers of the day, he's trying to explain to the Pharisees who he is, who God is, and what he has to do with God. He's the Son sent from the Father. Who is this man, Jesus? He's trying to explain himself. And whenever you read this text, you'll notice that the Pharisees only ask questions. Verse 25, who are you? Verse 19, where is your father? Verse 22, where are you going? And then it culminates in verse 27, where it says, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. They didn't get it. That gap was there, just like my conversation with this woman. I was trying to explain Medicare. Jesus is trying to explain something much more important than Medicare, <laughs> trying to explain salvation. They just don't get it. In the same way for all of us, as we come to Jesus, we too are confronted with a gap, okay? We're confronted with a gap, and it's a gap that God reveals to us, that we don't even know is there, but that God reveals to us through His Word, through Scripture, as we come to Jesus. What we're going to see is we're going to see three gaps that sort of exist in this text with the Pharisees and, and exist with us as we are trying to understand who God is. The first gap is a gap of knowledge, the knowledge gap. The second gap is a gap in judgment. And the third gap is the gap, the final most important gap is the relationship gap that exists between us and God. So the first gap that we see with Christ is the knowledge gap with these Pharisees. He says in verse 19, talking to them, they say, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, if you knew me, you'd know my father also. Here is the knowledge gap. One of the main refrains of this book, as you kind of read through the Gospel of John that's so striking to me, is over and over again, Jesus talks about what he came to do. He tells us his identity and what he was sent to do. He came to accomplish the will of the Father. So if you have any questions, what was Jesus about? Why did Jesus come to the, to, to the earth? Over and over in the book of John, he says, I came to accomplish the will of the Father. That's his identity. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 40. What is the will of him who sent And who is the one who sent you? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus came down to accomplish the will of the Father. The identity of the Son is the one who comes to accomplish the will of the, of the Father to secure eternal life for all those who believe in him. The point I'm making here is Jesus is saying that you cannot separate him from God. You cannot separate Jesus from God. To know the Son, to know the Father, to know the Father is to know the Son. And so what Jesus says here, and if you think about it in that way, he says, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He is essentially tearing, telling these Pharisees, again, the religious elite, these are the PhDs. They, went, they all went to University of Jerusalem and got a PhD in God. That they don't know who God is. That's what he says. 
You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He's looking at these people dead in the face, saying, you have no idea who God is because you don't know me. That's quite a statement. To know the Son is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know the Son. He's revealing their knowledge gap. And this is quite a bold thing to say. You don't know who God is unless you know who Jesus is. That's what Christ is saying. Any conception of God without Christ is a misconception. Okay? It's a pretty bold line in the sand that Jesus draws here as he reveals their spiritual ignorance. What do we make of this? Any conception of God without Christ is a misconception. How do we manage this, especially today? Right? And there's tons of views about God, other world religion. Okay? Jesus comes and reveals the knowledge gap, and we have to do something with it. Do we believe this? Is any conception of God without Christ truly a misconception? Is that real? Do we take Christ at his word here? For us, the church, for followers of Jesus, this is a line in the sand that Christ draws that we cannot deviate from. Scripture is very, very clear that to understand God is to understand Jesus, and we try to make Jesus anything less than as he presents himself in Scripture. We're not dealing with God anymore. If we make Jesus anything less than he is, we devolve, fall into heresy. Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 8. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one even if we, an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word there is anathema. So if anyone preaches to you anything about Christ, anything about the gospel, that God loves us and sent his son to die on the cross for us to reconcile us with himself, anyone preaches anything less than that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, let that person be cut off. He even says an angel from heaven. Uh, scripture says that Satan is disguised as an angel of light. I don't know if you guys realize this, but uh, Mormonism and Islam were both their holy texts. Joseph Smith and then the prophet Muhammad received their recitations or their scriptures from angels. Joseph Smith received the tablets of gold from an angel, angel named Moroni. And then... Um, Muhammad received his recitations from the angel Gabriel. Now, these are different religions. These have different views of Jesus. And for the, for the, um, in the, in, for the Muslims, in, in, the book of, in the Quran, Jesus is not God. He's just a man, just a prophet. And then the same is true in Mormonism. Jesus is less than what Scripture clearly teaches. Again, the Apostle Paul, even if an angel preaches to you gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Why do we want to draw the line here? Why is this important? Isn't this just divisive? Why can't they all be right? We've talked about this a lot. This is a thing that comes up a lot in the book of John. The different religions of the world all make different truth claims. They're not compatible logically. But on a more deep level... They all can't be right, and we have to stick to the line that Jesus draws here because eternal life 
is found in knowing who God is as he truly is and who Jesus is as he truly is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. John 17, 3, this is the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' prayer for us before he's crucified. His last moments, he prays for the church. And he says this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know the Father is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. And to have eternal life is to know this Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. Jesus comes and shows us this gap in our knowledge, and we have to understand that, repent, and turn, and find the salvation that he offers. That's eternal life, knowing the one true God. Now, apart from this worldview piece, this knowledge gap, there's also an extremely practical application as well. The truth is, apart from God's grace in our lives, we'd all be in the dark about who he is. No one of us would, able, would be able to figure out God on our own. We all need Jesus to come and show us where we kind of fall off the map here. Many of you guys know the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He was a, a, a Pharisee. He was a guy that knew his Bible inside and out, and he was a persecutor of the church. He did not believe in Christ. In fact, he tried to kill people that preached Jesus as the Messiah. And then one day Paul was on the road to Damascus and it says an angel, or not an angel, it said Jesus appeared to him in a bright flashing light. This man thought that he had God figured out, but he didn't. And the Lord humbled Paul and saved Paul. He revealed to Paul that he did not know who God truly was. And this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You notice there, Paul says that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but he received mercy whenever he acted ignorantly in unbelief. Can I tell you that there was a time in my life growing up in the church, I thought I had God figured out, right? My dad was a pastor. I grew up in this. Of course I was saved. Of course I knew Jesus, right? I was born into it. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Apart from God revealing who Christ was, I would have never known this God. I just fell into the gap in knowledge, and God opened up my eyes to see. He interjected himself into my life. And so what I'm saying is that none of us can truly know who God is apart from his grace. Paul thought, he knew that he was right in going and killing the Christians because they had it wrong. And then Jesus appeared to him and opened up his eyes, and then he saw. The same is true for me. Praise God we have a Savior that comes and cares about us enough to show us where we're falling off. And that's why we have the Bible, right? That's why we preach out of this beginning to end. I mean, this text today is not an easy one. It's really awkward. It's really 
weird. It's really confrontational. Jesus says some really hard things, and I love you guys enough to not skip over those things because I want you to know it because I haven't made this stuff up. This is the Word of God. We have to know what God is saying about himself because we don't want to fall into the knowledge gap. Jesus doesn't let us do that. By God's grace, he's given us this word so that we know we can know without a shadow of a doubt who this God is. These Pharisees, they thought they had God figured out, but they didn't. Jesus reveals that to them, and he's also revealed it to us. And so for you, what I would sort of challenge you with is, what is your conception of God? Like really, whenever you get down to it, whenever you think about God, what are you thinking about? And then what does Scripture say? And just kind of balance those. As the church, as followers of Christ, our conception of God comes from God's Word. We believe that this is God's Word. Are we thinking about God rightly? Is there space for us to be confronted with maybe misconceptions that we have? Because that's exactly what the Pharisees are being confronted with. We know how it works out for them. They don't like it, right? What do they do with Jesus? Well, they kill him. They rejected him. What about us? There's two groups here, right? The Pharisees that have Jesus killed, but then there's also Paul, a Pharisee who did not, who turned, who believed, who repented, and was saved. For you, how do you think about this man, Jesus? And are you willing to, for that knowledge gap to be revealed, to turn and to take him at his word here? So the first thing Christ does, again, the knowledge gap. The Pharisees are over here. True understanding of God is over here. Jesus is trying to bridge that gap. The second gap we see is the judgment gap. They judged wrongly. Starting in verse 15, going to verse 18. This is what it says. It says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Earlier on in verse 13, the Pharisees are disputing the claims of Christ. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They say, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In Jewish law and practice, you need two witnesses. Two witnesses. If someone is just saying something is true, but it's only them who's saying it, that's not admissible in court. They they don't do the he said, she said type of stuff. Okay, You need two witnesses. And so they're saying, Jesus, you're saying all these things about you, but no one else is backing up your claims here. No one else is backing your claims here. Jesus' response is to say that he does have two witnesses. He's saying these things, that he's in the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and then also his Father, God in heaven, is also witness. There's two witnesses. If you remember from John chapter 5, this conversation is very, very similar. In that conversation, Jesus says he has multiple witnesses to who he is. He's a witness. John the Baptist is a witness. Jesus' works, his miracles testify that he is the Son of God. It goes on and on and on. So their judgment of Jesus is not correct. Jesus charges them, on the contrary, says, you guys are not judging rightly because you judge according to the flesh, not according to God's standard of right and wrong, 
You are judging according to the flesh. You are judging by appearances. They're judging by appearances, by their own standard. In fact, if they were judging by God's standard, if they were looking at Jesus according to God's word, they would have believed in him. I, I, I've thought of that myself. If I had lived back in this time, would I have believed in Christ? Any of you, think about it. If you had lived in Galilee at the time, if you had lived in Jerusalem at the time, and saw this crazy man walking around doing crazy things, would you have believed? Or would you have been the guy that was shouting, crucify him? Saying, he's crazy, don't listen to him, right? I mean, and if you were going to say he's crazy, you get a pass, because even Jesus' own family said that, right? And even people grew up with him, right? Would you have believed? Jesus says this in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says that you would have proper judgment of him if you actually believe God's word. God, God did not leave a son without witness. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Their judgment of Jesus is wrong because they do not believe the message that God had given them in the Old Testament. Okay? For us today, whenever we think about this word judgment, there are few words and charges lobbed against the church as often and as consistently as the word judgment or judgmental. Okay? It's a turn off. The church is seen as judgy. The second most known verse aside from John 3.16 is Matthew 7.1. Judge not, lest ye also be judged. Okay? Judge not, lest ye also be judged. So let's press into that. What is that? Is that true? Are we not to judge others? What does Jesus mean? It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. How do we judge with right judgment? The Pharisees, again, judging by the wrong standard with wrong judgment. How do we understand this word judgment? And this is the charge sort of lobbed against the church, an accurate one. Let's talk about that. Because it's going to come up, right? If we're preaching the gospel, if we're talking to people about Jesus, what is the gospel? Salvation from sin. Well, don't talk about sin, that's judgment. How do we navigate that? We have to preach the good news of Jesus. It's only good news because there's bad news that God has to judge sin. And then the charge, judge not. How do we talk about this? Is Matthew really saying that we can't make judgments? How do we not fall into the judgment gap? Well, first, we should say that God does not prohibit us from judging others. And we're going to qualify that again. What does the Bible say? God does not um, prohibit us from judging others. John 7, 24 Jesus says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. Okay? So it's not the presence of judgment, the type of judgment. It's not that we judge. Everyone judges. Even whenever you say you're being judgmental, that's a judgment you're making at someone else, right? Like everyone makes judgments in life. It's impossible not to. Okay? But it's the type these Pharisees were judging according to the flesh. They were judging by appearances. They looked at people and thought as people less valuable, less human, 
as other, as icky, not based on God's judgment, but based on their own, based on sort of a sense of status and privilege and you know, power and all that type of stuff. Okay? That is judging by appearances. That is judging according to the flesh. The best example of this is Luke chapter 8. This is a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Okay? So the Pharisee, again, is the religious elite, and then you got the tax collector who is seen as a traitor. No one liked the tax collectors. And this is the parable, starting in verse 9. Luke chapter 18. Sorry, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. He told them a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. That's the dichotomy, two different spectrums, two different ends of the social spectrum. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm the most amazing person you've ever met in your entire life, God. Okay? But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here we see the result of two different judgments. The one who judges according to the flesh, exalts himself. The one who judges according to God's judgment is humbled and is in turn exalted. Because the judgment is not me versus this person. Judgment is me versus God. That, that, that's the connection, right? The, the tax collector is compared to God. The Pharisee is compared to God. The Pharisee is depending on all of his good works to make himself look good, to judge according to his good works. The tax collector understands, I'm not even close to that. I just need your mercy and grace, God. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. Two different judgments. The Pharisee versus the tax collector can't even lift up his head in repentance and confession to a holy God. So going back to Matthew 7, if we're thinking about judge not, lest ye be judged, Jesus has in mind pharisaical hypocritical judgment. I'll read the full text. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What Jesus is saying is you don't need to judge hypocritically, not that you don't judge. You don't judge hypocritically. What that means is any judgment we render applies to us in the first instance. If I tell someone, you need to deal with your anger, you need to stop yelling at your kids, and yelling at your wife, and then I do that, I yell at my kids and yell at my wife, I got a big old log sticking out of my eye, right? Huge. I'm not in a position to give that. I'm a hypocrite. And we're all hypocrites. I think we can agree with that. But I got to deal with that first. But that doesn't mean I don't render 
judgment. Because you know what? You don't need to yell at your wife. You don't need to yell at your kids. You know why we know that? Because God has told us to love our spouses and love our kids. That's a judgment he's given us. And so I know that that's something that I don't need to do. In fact, if you go down to verse 5, Jesus makes it a little bit more obvious. You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's assuming you will eventually come and tell your brother to take the speck out of their own eye. So as followers of Jesus, we want to judge with right judgment, with godly judgment, not by our own standards of right and wrong, but with God's standard of right and wrong. Not by our own standard, but God's standard. So whenever we get to that question, well, who are you to judge? It's a great question, because that really is the question. By whose standard? Everyone has a standard. At the end of the day, everyone has a standard that they're judging by. So whenever it says, who are you to judge? They probably just want to stop the conversation, but really the main question they're being asked is, by what standard are you judging? By God's standard or by your own? By God's standard or by your own? And so as Christians, we are called to judge by God's standard. This is the judgment gap that Jesus reveals. He says these people have got it all wrong. And so going back to John chapter 8, Verse 16, we see the standard that Christ upholds. He says, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. He comes to accomplish the will of the Father, to reveal their gap. So we don't need to be hypocrites. But, and I'll say a little note here, we know we're all hypocrites, though, too, at the end of the day. We all mess up. I see this most often whenever I get into my kids, and I do the same thing I tell them not to do, right? You know how hard, like if, if Levi like hits Ellie, or Ellie hits Levi, or whatever, and I say, all right, go say you're sorry. You know how hard it is for me to ask forgiveness, right? If I'm in an argument with Hannah, how hard it is for me to say I'm sorry, because I don't have... My dad, you know, up over, up over my shoulder saying, go say, I'm sorry. We know that. We realize that. Or Abram, put, you, put up your phone and go to sleep. Then I'm on my phone at like midnight, right? Hypocrites, right? That's the, the truth of it. That's why we need God's grace, right? That's, that's the difference between the tax collector saying, God, forgive me a sinner who understands his issues and needs God to forgive him versus the Pharisee who is depending on his own good works. If we're doing that, man, none of us are going to make it. We need God's grace because we all fall into this gap. We need him to save us. And that brings us to the third and final gap, and this is really the crux of the issue. John chapter 8, verses 21. This is the relationship gap. The relationship gap. So Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Man, it's a tough one, right? That's one we skip over. Where I'm going, you cannot come. The Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you 
that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. So Jesus said to them again, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak, just as the Father has taught me. Jesus here is prophesying two things, his crucifixion and his ascension. We see that first again in verse 21. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. He says this to the Pharisees. But we know that this is the warning that goes out to the entire world. The Bible is very clear. Our spiritual condition before a holy God is as a people separated from him by our sin. That Our sin has created a gap between us and God. This is our spiritual condition. And we cannot bridge that gap by our own works, by our own doing, by our own efforts. Jesus says, tragically, you will seek me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is the default reality of the entire world. This is it. And Jesus expresses it in terms of residence, which I think is interesting. We don't live in the household of God. We're not born in that household. We were created to be, but we got kicked out. Think about the Garden of Eden, right? God created Adam and Eve. What happened whenever Adam and Eve sinned? They were sent out east of Eden. And then do you remember, if, if you've read the, the text, what does God put at the entrance of the Garden of Eden? An angel with a sword. And so it's symbolic. The only way you can enter into the presence of God again in the Garden of Eden is you've got to go through the sword. You've got to go through the angel. No one's going to make it. That's where judgment is. That's why we need Christ. Jesus says, he couches it again, in residence. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That's the gap. As a southerner who moved to Maine, I will always and forever be from away. My kids will be from away. Their kids will be from away. I think it takes about eight generations, right, to actually be a Mainer, right? Eight or nine, okay? If the world's still here by then, okay? It's my identity. I'm from away. In the same way, this tragedy of sin and separation that we have has changed our residence so that we are from away. We are no longer reside, reside with God anymore, anymore. Apart from God inserting himself into our situation and bridging this relationship gap, we are from away. And Jesus says, you will die in your sins. Then he says this. Verse 24, and I told you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he. Remember, the son came to accomplish the will of the father. The will of the father was not that we would die in our sins. The will of the father is that everyone who looks on the son will believe and in him should have eternal life. Life And so this gap exists, and Jesus says you'll die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, for God so loved the world, that he sent his only son, 
that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God wants us to reside with him. But that doesn't change the reality of the relationship gap, but only Jesus has bridged this gap. That's the good news, right? That is the gospel. The gospel pushes us to the brink. It gives us this bad news, and we fall in this gap. And then Christ comes, and we see he bridges the gap by the cross, that we walk across this divide by repentance and faith. You might notice the cruel irony here with these Pharisees. They question if Jesus is suicidal. And it's ironic because Jesus will die, but he won't die by his own hands. He's going to die by their hands. It's them. They're thinking, is he going to kill himself? No, you're going to kill him. Then he says this in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Here the irony continues. In the crucifixion, we see bloody, shameful agony as Jesus is persecuted as a criminal of the state and he's mocked as a phony Messiah receiving his just penalty. But at the same time, he describes himself as being lifted up. Jesus, at the moment of the crucifixion, is lifted up above everyone in glory. Because in the moment that they're trying to kill him, he's actually securing salvation for the entire world. God flips it upside down and by death destroys death. The death of the Son of Man leads to life for everyone who believes in him, securing a salvation, giving his life as a ransom, fully, finally, forever, bridging the gap that exists between God and man. If you remember at that moment that Jesus says, it is finished, the centurion looks up and says, truly this was the Son of God. Everything Jesus said would happen, happened. The curtain was torn in two, and God made a way for man to be redeemed. The gap was covered. This is the good news. And with everything in Scripture, and the Bible, and Christ, it's a good news that we have to take in and search our own hearts. Where is the gap in your life? Maybe it's a knowledge gap. Maybe it's a judgment gap. Maybe it's a relationship gap. Jesus has come to bridge all of those gaps, but he puts the ball into your court. Do you believe it or not? Do you repent of your sins, turn from your sins or not? Do you know his word or not? Do you know the Son or not? Are you judging according to the flesh? Are you judging according to the word of God? Do you know who this God is or do you have a God made up in your mind? Do you know this Jesus is or are you still lost in your sins? The good news is God has made a way for you, this entire world, for all of us. We just need to walk across the bridge of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we come to you in total dependence as tax collectors, not as Pharisees. Christ is good. He's very good. And these truths that we read, they... They push us, Lord, to places that we might not want to go, but it's good because it's the truth. And the more we sort of dwell on these things and these words that Jesus says, you will die in your sin. How heavy a word. 
but then to also realize the will of the Father was to send the Son, that anyone who believes in Him should have eternal life. Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come unless you believe. It's that unless, Lord, that is the gospel, the good news. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made a way for us in Christ. I pray that that reality would be real to us, would be powerful to us, that we would know that, that we would sort of uh, lean in, Lord, to your word and knowing this Christ, that we would lean into your word and knowing how to live out the faith in this world and, and judge rightly and not wrongly, Lord, how to be in relationship with you, Lord. We know that you do all of this through your spirit. I just want to lift up myself. I want to lift up everyone here and lift up those joining us online that we would press into Christ, Lord, that we would know the salvation that he brings and the goodness that he brings and believe that. Walk across that gap, Lord, and find salvation. Move into the house of God, that we no longer residents of this world. We're residents in heaven with you, Lord, and we would live that out. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We know that you take away every hurt. We know that you take away every pain, all the mourning, Lord, um, the, the sin that exists in this world, and all the struggles and pain that, that come with living, Lord. We know that that's not the end of the story for us. Uh, we live in redemption and renewal and recreation, Lord. Uh, we're excited about that, Lord, and whatever is getting us down, we know that Jesus offers a better way. And so we pray for that better way for our community, for ourselves, Lord, and for our community and those around us, that we would be life-giving people by your Spirit, Lord. So we remember Christ this morning. Uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for his word. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.